I made an observation on Twitter the other day suggesting that it was impossible to be a true Brexiteer unless you had had personal experience of working within the European Union uh, in some form. It was impossible to fully understand the European Union unless you'd worked within it. And interestingly enough, Martin Oates of South West Politics Show uh, retweeted uh, that particular tweet of mine, and I felt that I ought to add a caveat to it. And the caveat was, unless, of course, you were a Brexiteer on constitutional basis, if you were on a Brexiteer on a constitutional issue, then you didn't need personal experience of the EU. You only needed to take a legal view, and that was perfectly legitimate. But to take any other view of reform, to talk about reform or potential reform, you have to have worked there, believe me, you have to have worked there either as an MEP or as a researcher or something fairly similar. Only that experience actually counts. In much the same way, the British Army is another institution. You do not understand the British Army when you leave the parade square after a recruitment parade as a private soldier, or you march off the square at Sandhurst as a shiny one pipper. You've got the gear, but you've got no idea. It takes several years before you even begin to understand some of these organisations. Uh, and it can be the same in sport, of course. Uh, rugby football, I can give an after-dinner speech at a rugby dinner uh, at a club where I've never heard of. don't know anything about the club at all, but I know they'll still laugh at most of the same jokes because all the things that they have going on at their rugby club go on at rugby clubs all across the country. Uh, so it's a sort of rugby ethos. So it's very important to understand this sort of Freemasonry, for want of a better word, that goes on within people who have worked within institutions. And certainly if I sit next to or meet in the pub uh, a young man who was a soldier, we have an awful lot in common because we belong to the same club. And he can be a corporal, I can be an ex-officer, I can sit next also to people who did national service, significantly older than even me, if that's possible, uh, and we will all laugh at the same jokes and have the same idea and much very similar experiences. And it's the same with the EU. And the thing to understand, you can read all you like about protocols, you can read about the logistics, you can read about how it works, how the commission works, how the committees work, the legal implications of the legislation that now comes to us uh, via Brussels into our own legislative system. You can talk about all these things, but you simply don't really understand them until you've been out there. And if you're looking for reform, and Cameron's been looking for reform, and hasn't got any, because he played his hand very badly anyway. He said, I'm going to campaign to keep the United Kingdom in the European Union in any event, regardless of what you give me. That is not a good starting point uh, with which to negotiate reform. But of course, it couldn't reform anyway, because the reforms that most of the country want, most of the United Kingdom want, are bound by treaty. So it isn't something with actually within the gift of the people with whom he is negotiating. It, it can't be done. It can't be given to him. No matter what good faith he might get by talking to individuals, uh, heads of sovereign countries, it isn't going to happen because it can't happen. And this is something that you can only really understand when you've actually worked inside the belly of the beast. And of course, it doesn't want to reform. The European Union does not want to reform because it doesn't think it needs to reform. 
Uh, it doesn't believe that there is any cause to ask it to reform. It thinks that the system that it has at the moment is absolutely perfect. And the detachment politically from the European Parliament from reality with their own countries uh, gets greater every single day. These people don't live in the real world. And of course, if I may take the analogy of alcoholism, uh, and any priest, any doctor, any uh, Alcoholics uh, Anonymous Association will tell you you cannot cure somebody of alcoholism unless they are prepared to realise that they have a problem that needs addressing. If they don't do that, you will not cure that individual. So it needs that that individual or institution needs to accept that it has a problem. And the EU has simply not done that, so it is unreformable, which is why Cameron's come back with actually no reform, and we're all pretending that there is reform. It's uh, quite absurd the way everybody in the media is pretending that he's offered some reforms. Uh, very sceptical, though the newspapers are. The BBC are quite straight-faced, looking at the situation like he's actually come out with reform, which we all know that he hasn't. So this is the point, really, that I was making. You can't read about it. You can't be informed about it. It's something that you have to experience firsthand. And this is why some relatively new Brexiteers, relatively new to the calling, as it were, go on television and make something of a pig's breakfast of it. And I think it was interesting when Boris Johnson went on and was asked the marmalade question, could we sell marmalade to Italy? And of course, if he'd been an old stager and served his apprenticeship, he would have come back quick as a flash. It isn't selling marmalade to the Italians that is our problem. It's ladies from the Women's Institute who are not allowed to sell marmalade and jam to their own countrymen because of EU regulation. And I would have shot that back at Andrew Marr straight away. And this is one of the problems I think newcomers to Brexit uh, are having. They're not experienced enough to fight in the first division of TV. And if you want to see a masterclass of how it works, you want to see... I think the model is Dan Hannan's interviews. Uh, Dan Hannan is cold, ice cold, rational, and takes people to pieces with his, the logic of his argument. Uh, and that makes him a much more formidable opponent uh, than Boris Johnson. And I suspect Gove is going to be the same when it gets onto the constitutional and legal issues. Uh, he has a penetrating mind, a very sharp mind, uh, he's not charismatic, he's not particularly emotional, uh, but I think people wanting that debate are going to have a pleasure listening to Gove when he makes those cases. But I fear, as a founder member of UKIP, big donor to UKIP over many years, and a Brexiteer of uh, longer standing than most people, certainly longer standing than most people I see on the television, as I started 25 years ago, I worry that the case might go by the board because television want to put somebody on the screen who has some sort of populist appeal in order to get viewer numbers rather than somebody on the screen who actually knows how it works and can address the fears of people who work at Nissan in Sunderland or Honda in Leicestershire or other foreign-owned companies who are pretending that the world will end if we leave the European Union. I think people are hungry for information. And when I'm out and about in Yorkshire, people are asking for information, real information. They're not wanting rhetoric. They don't want rhetoric. 
They want to know exactly how it works and what the implications are. So I'd like to see more of the Dan Hannans of this world and slightly fewer of the Boris Johnsons if we're not to lose at the last minute by failing to get that all-important floating vote. Just thoughts, just thoughts of mine, which I thought I'd share with you.